A word of warning. This podcast may contain themes that some listeners might find distressing. Not always, but sometimes. However, this podcast will definitely contain strong language. Therefore, if neither of these things sound appealing, it's probably not the podcast for you then, is it? Hello, uh, and welcome to episode two of the Narcissist Ramblings podcast with me, the Narcissist Psychologist. <laughs> not quite sure why the episode started with the uh, the hello in quite the way that it did but anyway that's where we are um if you want to know a little bit more about me and the aims of the podcast please feel free to go listen to episode one um i can't really be asked to repeat all of that here as there is quite a lot to get through in this episode today i'm going to be talking about something that i have taken what i would consider a remarkable interest in over the last year or so toxic masculinity um if you follow me on Instagram, you will have seen that I have uh, generally quite a lot to say about masculinity, uh, particularly the, the concept of toxic masculinity. Um, but the focus of what I want to think about is more around the controversy surrounding the term. Um, I won't lie, I was, and I still am, a bit overwhelmed by the topic, as it's not just simply a case of talking about what toxic masculinity is and you know trying to set the record straight as I feel a large reason behind why there is such uh, controversy over the term stems from a misperception or two uh, about what the term refers to. Because of those misperceptions, the information available about toxic masculinity is not necessarily clear-cut and coherent, um, and so unpacking the term requires working through a fair few different areas. I was originally going to cover everything that I wanted to talk about in one episode, um, but in researching and writing this episode, things just kept piling on and expanding. Um, as a consequence, I have divided this discussion into two episodes, with this episode covering, <laughs> you know, as best I can, uh, the areas of um, masculinity, uh, toxic masculinity, highlighting some areas of contention about the term, and also some thoughts about what you know what we would call toxic masculinity if we didn't want to call it toxic masculinity anymore i feel like i need to highlight that i am absolutely 100% not an expert in masculinity studies <laughs> um i'm very new to thinking about masculinity and this interest has come about largely because of the work that i do within the field of forensic psychology um through my work i have become more aware of the rules of masculinity as it were and how these play out in the offenses of male clients that i work with um, and also the impact of masculinity on female clients that I work with too, uh, in that they have largely experienced abuse and trauma at the hands of men. And so because of this, I am very much interested in the interplay between masculinity, toxic masculinity, offending and the impact of victims. Um, and as part of this interest, I've become quite fixed on trying to help unpick the specifics of toxic masculinity, which I've noticed online was not so clear cut and not as clearly as understood as I thought the concept was. Um, so once again, uh, this is my own exploration and musings into the concept of toxic masculinity, which I am inviting you to join me with. And if you choose to come along for the journey, that's on you. As a starting point, it would probably make sense to try and understand what masculinity is versus what it's not. Um, I think a lot of the confusion around toxic masculinity comes from the lack of clarity about what the fuck masculinity is, and perhaps the predominant idea that it is inherently biological and evolutionary. Um, these biological and evolutionary notions of masculinity bring with them the idea that men think and behave differently to women because we have inherently male brains and that much of our behavior, such as our drive to aggressively dominate, take risks and be impulsive, 
uh, is governed by our higher levels of testosterone and that we are just evolutionarily primed for violence. However, more recently, there has been research to dispel the ideas of gendered brains and that men, i.e. biological males, have much higher testosterone than women that governs our behaviours, or that we are inherently violent and aggressive. There isn't enough time in the world, or more specifically this podcast, people have got shit to do, right, to go through these points in any great depth. However, if you think I'm talking out my ass, I would suggest reading The Gendered Brain by Gina Rippin, Testosterone Rex by Cordelia Fine, and Humankind by Rutger Bregman. All three authors can explain things far better and in much greater detail than I can. However, the take-home message is this. For a large part of recent history, it has been thought that much of what makes a man a man is down to how our brains develop to make us think and act, with the addition of higher levels of testosterone that impact on our use of aggression, our tendencies to take bigger risks and act more impulsively, and that basically, to be masculine is predominantly to be male. To be fair, this last part has some merit to it, but it doesn't answer the whole question. To help clarify this, I am going to read an extract from an introduction to an online book bibliography compiled and written by Michael Kimmel, who I think is somewhat of an expert in masculinity studies as his name pops up all over the fucking place, and Tristan Bridges, who I've only heard of once. So's Mr. Bridges. Right, the quote goes, while biological maleness varies very little, the roles, behaviors, bodies, and identities that are thought of as masculine vary enormously. This variation allows scholars to argue that masculinity is socially constructed. First, masculinity varies historically. What is thought of as masculine changes over time. Second, masculinity varies cross-culturally. Conceptualizations of masculinity are culturally specific. Third, masculinity varies intrapsychically. What it means to be a man changes over the course of one's life. Finally, masculinity varies contextually. Even within a given society and time period, masculinity can be, mean different things to different people. Simply put, not all American or Nigerian or Chinese or Australian men are the same. More specifically, being a man means something very different to a college-age white heterosexual boy living in Maine than it does to a middle-aged homosexual Latino man living in San Francisco. Since masculinity varies so much, we cannot speak of it as though it were a timeless essence common among all men. Rather, we must speak of masculinities, precisely because masculinity means different things to different people in different cultures and in different historical periods. And to quote from another source, this is from a paper entitled Hegemonic Masculinity Rethinking the Concept, written by Connell and Messerschmitt in 2005, both of whom I believe are also pretty big hitters in the world of masculinity studies. And don't worry, we will come back to what uh, hegemonic masculinity is a little later. Masculinity is not a fixed entity embedded in the body or personality traits of individuals. Masculinities are configurations of practices that are co accomplished in social action and, therefore, can differ according to the gender relations in a particular social setting. Essentially what these two quotes are saying is that while masculinity, or various forms of masculinity, may form part of a gender identity for men, masculinity is not necessarily something inherent within a male body. Just because you have a male body does not automatically mean that you think or act in certain ways or believe certain things. These thoughts, acts and belief develop within a man at a particular time period in history within a specific culture and can vary across contexts. Additionally, masculinity plays out between the different genders too. Okay, 
So now we sort of know what masculinity is. Uh, what about toxic masculinity then? Where does the term come from and what does it mean? <laughs> now, despite what many might think, the phrase did not develop within the feminist movement as a critique of problematic masculine behaviour, but rather, according to an article written in 2019 and published in The Atlantic entitled The Problem with a Fight Against Toxic Masculinity, the phrase was first coined around the 1980s, 1990s by the mythopoetic men's movement. <laughs> now, I can't quite figure out what this movement is, but from what I can wrap my head around, and please someone correct me if I'm wrong on this, it was, and maybe still is, a spiritual men's movement which developed in a response to second wave feminism and the and these mythopoetic men claimed that uh, second wave feminism was trying to feminize men. <laughs> Goddamn feminists always trying to make men more feminine, um, which as a consequence of this feminization was leading leading men to become uh, more aggressive and frustrated due to them being denied and I'm quoting from the article again, necessary rights and rituals to realize their true selves as men. <laughs> Um, I'm not trying to be too judgmental, but maybe a little bit. Uh, sounds like these guys probably would have happily identified with the uh, Spartans in the film 300. Anyway, these uh, mythopoetic men created spiritual wilderness retreats and workshops to rescue, and again, I quote, deep warrior masculinity from what they defined as toxic masculinity. <laughs> again, that being aggression and frustration arising from nasty feminists trying to feminize men. Moving on from this bizarre reaction to second wave feminism, it seems that the term toxic masculinity was first defined academically in 2005 by Terry Coopers, who, when trying to understand the barriers of why mentally unwell male offenders resisted psychotherapy, identified that toxic masculinity might be one such barrier, and defined toxic masculinity as the constellation of socially regressive male traits that serve to foster domination, the devaluation of women, homophobia, and wanton violence. Uh, Cooper's further claimed that prisons brought out these toxic aspects of masculinity. He was criticized for seeming to claim that masculinity itself was toxic, which he denied, but apparently admitted he could have made this clearer in his research. And pretty much since then, there has been contested debate over the term and what it means. In his definition of toxic masculinity, I think Cooper's was working from a conceptualization of masculinity initially developed by Raywin Connell called hegemonic masculinity. Again, we'll come to this in more detail shortly, but for this context, Connell was, I think, the first person to theorize that masculinity was not inherent, but could be shaped by class, race, culture, sexuality, and other factors. She was also the first to argue that certain traits of masculinity could be considered problematic because masculinity, specifically hegemonic masculinity, creates a social hierarchy between genders, but also between men, of who could live up to certain ideals of masculinity, such as sexual potency and physical strength. Um, but the insecurity and anxiety that arises with the efforts to attain and maintain this masculinity, and also failing to do this, had problematic consequences and often requires the use of force or dominance to regain control over one's place in the masculine hierarchy. As just noted, Connell always asserted that she did not think masculinity was something inherent or innate or fixed. However, academics such as Cooper's and others since, including the modern media, and here I am mainly thinking about social media, have misinterpreted what Connell was trying to say and have mistakenly latched onto this idea that masculinity is indeed fixed, uh, perhaps for the reasons relating to historical notions of masculinity being linked to biology and evolution. Therefore, 
if uh, some think that masculinity is fixed and unchangeable, and now there is this idea that masculinity is toxic, that then means men must be inherently toxic and come predisposed with these innate harmful traits and ways of being that are seemingly unchangeable. Uh, this is where I think much of the pushback against the idea of toxic masculinity comes from. In a blog post entitled Talking About Toxic Masculinity, written in 2019, Randy Flood notes, Much of the initial pushback to the idea of toxic masculinity comes from people who take offence to the phrase. Many interpret the words to mean something they don't and immediately disengage from any useful dialogue. Here are some examples, and at this point I'm quoting some phrases that one might hear when trying to discuss toxic masculinity. I hear you describe masculinity as bad and toxic, and I can only conclude that you are anti-male and that you see all men as bad and toxic. I hear you say that men need to be more feminine, and I think you're trying to emasculate men. I hear you say only toxic masculinity is a problem, and I say, what about toxic femininity? I hear you wanting to eliminate masculinity, and I say that will make boys weak, lazy, and fearful. And while I've not looked into this very much, and equally there does not seem to be any obvious research that points to this, anecdotally and from my experiences of social media, there appears to be a kind of weaponization of the term from various subgroups. Um, on the one hand, you have a subgroup of men who claim that the term was created by feminists to promote misandry, the hatred of men. And on the other hand, you have what appears to be a subgroup of women who, based on their experiences with men, perhaps understandably do think that men are toxic and do use the term toxic masculinity in a pejorative and blaming way. So in online spaces, when trying to discuss toxic masculinity, it's really hard to be like, no, that's not what toxic masculinity means and it's not how it's supposed to be used, when sometimes it is exactly how it is used. So in these ways, I can see how men would dislike the phrase. The consequence of this, however, is that this view uh, of the term gives the subgroup of men who believes that society is fully against men greater opportunity to highlight how the term is sexist towards men, can supposedly harm men and boys, and by this I mean that the term itself is harmful, not the specific traits of toxic masculinity being harmful, and is used to drive men away from the overall aims of feminism and equality. Something else that seems to have occurred is that there is this belief that toxic masculinity has been pathologized. By this, I mean there's this idea that people think that the term means that there is something inside men and boys that needs healing or even detoxifying, maybe. Take, for example, the fact that the American uh, Psychological Association released a document on how to therapeutically work with boys and men, highlighting that one of the areas that they might need to take into consideration is the influence of what they call traditional masculinity, which they described as being marked by stoicism, competitiveness, domination and aggression, and how this impacts on the psychological well-being of men. Personally, I think it's great that the APA have put forward guidance that takes into account the impact of masculinity on men and boys. As noted earlier, I try and think about masculinity in my work with my male clients. Also, we'll get into the specific impact of toxic masculinity on men in more detail in the, sec in the second episode of this series. Um, but there seems to, be, seems to have been some staunch criticism of the APA taking this stance. Jordan Peterson, who, by the way, I have not had enough time to form a solid opinion on yet, uh, but I'm working on that, noted that these APA guidelines were an attack on masculinity, while another group of UK-based psychologists, who I won't name as I don't want to be called out for slander, seem to think that UK therapists are hell-bent on blaming everything that men do and feel on their toxic masculinity, 
almost as if they think that therapists are diagnosing men with having toxic masculinity, like it's a disease or mental illness that boys and men can be afflicted with. It all seems to have become very confused and seemingly blown all out of proportion. So, you might be asking, if this term seems to have lost its coherence and is being weaponized from all sides, surely we should come up with a different name. Call it something different? And that's one option, sure, and this is something that I have seen debated and talked about in online spaces. Another reason I have become so interested in trying to clarify and continually, continually discuss the accurate conception of toxic masculinity is because last year I saw an Instagram post by a pretty big, well-established men's mental health charity stating that they were refusing to use the term because of all the harm it caused. And I was a bit like, surely with your platform you are perfectly placed to set the record straight and educate the men who follow you about what the term toxic masculinity actually is they did not think that this was a good idea so i was like fuck it fine i'll do it and here we are anyway but here's my question what do we call it and how do we know that the same thing that has happened to toxic masculinity won't just happen to the new term if you Google the definition of toxic masculinity, and I invite you to do this now if you can, except if you're driving, do not fucking Google anything if you're driving. All current definitions I find of toxic masculinity make it quite clear that the term relates to current aspects of masculinity that are harmful and nowhere, literally fucking nowhere, do any definitions point to the fact that toxic masculinity frames men as bad or inherently toxic. For example, the basic Google definition, you know, the one that pops up at the top of the page whenever you type in what does X mean into Google, states toxic masculinity is a set of attitudes and ways of behaving stereotypically associated with or expected of men regarded as having a negative impact on men and society as a whole. The trusty starting point of all good research, Wikipedia, you laugh, but Wikipedia is usually where my research starts, has this to say. The concept of toxic masculinity is used in academic and media discussions of masculinity to refer to certain cultural norms that are associated with harm to society and men themselves. Traditional stereotypes of men as socially dominant, along with related traits such as misogyny and homophobia, can be considered toxic due in part to their promotion of violence, including sexual assault and domestic violence. The socialization of boys in patriarchal societies often normalizes violence such as in saying boys will be boys about bullying and aggression. And as a final example, the number one hit on a Google search comes from verywellmind.com that goes on to say, there are many definitions of toxic masculinity that appear in research as well, in as, well as in pop culture. Some researchers have come to agree that toxic masculinity has three core components. Toughness, which involves the notion that men should be physically strong, emotionally callous and behaviorally aggressive. Anti-femininity, the idea that men should reject anything that is considered to be feminine, such as showing emotion or accepting help. And power, the assumption that men must work towards obtaining power and status, social and financial, so that they can gain the respect of others. Yet, despite the fact that the very obvious, easily obtainable definitions of toxic masculinity don't highlight that men are inherently toxic or dangerous or evil or anything like that, it is clear that there is still discomfort and unease with the term. So, for the sake of argument, it makes sense to look at other phrases that might replace toxic masculinity as the catch-all phrase to describe problematic behaviours and beliefs associated with masculinity. So, for this section, instead of talking out my ass, I'm going to be consulting three resources instead. The first is the paper written by Connell and Messerschmitt, previously mentioned, Hegemonic Masculinity and Rethinking the Concept, and two very short, very easily readable books. 
The first book is called Is Masculinity Toxic? written by Andrew Smiler. And the second book is, and if you follow me on social media, you'll have heard me bang on about this book before and for good reason. It's great. The second book is The Little Me Too Handbook for Men written by Mark Green. I'm going to try my best to summarize what I've learned from these resources as coherently as I can. But if it all sounds a bit fucked up and a bit messed up, please do take some time to read these resources. They've really helped clarify things for me in my understanding of the issue, even though there is the possibility that I might fuck this up. The first such phrase that I have seen suggested that might serve as a suitable replacement for toxic masculinity was mentioned earlier. Hegemonic masculinity, first proposed by Connell in the 1980s. But what the fuck does hegemonic mean, I hear you ask? And that, my friends, is a very good question. <laughs> Unless you're a walking thesaurus or have ever administered the test of premorbid functioning, that's an inside joke for psychologists, by the way, it's highly unlikely that the definition of hegemonic or hegemony is just going to roll off your tongue. Therefore, going back to the old Google method of research, when you type in what does hegemony mean, and yes, I'm pronouncing it correctly, it is defined as leadership or dominance, especially by one state or social group over others. So basically, if something is hegemonic, it is the dominant whatever. So Connell's theory of hegemonic masculinity goes something like this. Because masculinity is not fixed and changes over time, culture, context, etc., there are often dominant or prominent forms of masculinity at any given point in history or within a culture or a context. This is what's known as hegemonic masculinity. In the book, Is Masculinity Toxic?, Smiler points out that so far there have been three prominent forms of masculinity, and we are currently in the fourth. Quoting from the book, a summary of the four forms of masculinity are as follows. The first model might be referred to as organic or natural masculinity, in which biological strengths dictated male and female behaviours and roles. In most prehistoric hunter-gatherer societies, the adult men concentrated on big game hunting as they were stronger and bigger, while women and prepubescent boys and girls did most of the gathering nearer to their kinship group and offspring. Although the roles and responsibilities were differentiated, there was no social hierarchy. These were egalitarian societies. The second model emerged during the late 17th century as part of the Enlightenment movement. In this model, masculinity also became associated with power, patriarchy and passion, with those conforming to this ideal assuming prime position in the social hierarchy. The 20th century saw the emergence of a third industrial model of masculinity. In this capitalist model, competition was added to the mix and passion was replaced by emotional stoicism. Although this remains the dominant model of masculinity today, during the past three decades it has been deconstructed and explored, resulting in the acceptance of multiple forms of masculinity and the idea that individuals can create their own contingent versions of masculinity. So then, each of these different forms of masculinity throughout history could be considered the hegemonic masculinity of its time, and those who adhered most closely to the hegemonic masculine norms of the era were then seen as being the most manly. There is a lot of discussion around hegemonic masculinity in relation to how it positions femininity and other subjugated or marginalized forms of masculinity as lesser, but that is quite complex and there isn't really enough time to go into that in this episode. And I don't really want to muddy things any more than they might already be. But what I would say is that while the phrase hegemonic masculinity sort of sounds like toxic masculinity, and in some ways it fits, it's not quite the same. In the article, Understanding Toxic Masculinity and Hegemonic Masculinity Through the Simpsons, Theo Marco writes, 
Toxic masculinity describes the individual reactions to ideas about gender that prompt men and boys to behave in aggressive, abusive and sexist ways in an ongoing effort to feel like and be perceived by others as proper, read, cisgendered, heterosexual and socially dominant men. In a nutshell, hegemonic masculinity outlines the rules for being a man, and toxic masculinity are the traits that some men choose to endorse and the behaviours that some men choose to enact that enable them to stick to the rules and to attain those hegemonic ideals. For example, in my head, this would be something like hegemonic masculinity emphasising power and dominance over others. However, some men could choose violence, either physical or sexual, in order to assert their power, which would be an example of toxic masculinity. And it's not just any violence that's toxic, because boxing is a violent sport, but it's a sanctioned or acceptable form of violence. Personally, I would query the sensibility of beating the shit out of each other by punching one another in the face repeatedly and as hard as you can, but each to their own. Therefore, it's maybe not just any violence that's toxic, but rather a particular kind of violence. Having said that, uh, I would also argue that men needing to assert dominance and power over anyone is not necessarily healthy. Another example would be that the rules of power and dominance might develop into beliefs about women's roles in relation to men and lead some men to endorse sexist and or misogynistic beliefs about women. These toxic traits appear to have developed over time too, and a large number of masculine ideals seem to have developed from the industrialized form of masculinity. That bit of Smiles' book is actually really fascinating. It talks about how the drive within the capitalist society saw men made to work individually in factories away from each other. Literally, each man was like two meters away from one another, so that they, all they could do was work and not talk to each other, and could focus solely on doing their jobs which then I think had the impact on the ways in which those men connected with each other, then producing the sort of stoicism and emotional disinhibition that we now see as the hallmark of being a strong, independent man. Additionally, what Connell goes on to say is that even though these current toxic traits might only be endorsed by a small proportion of men, they are still considered to be normative and in many ways aspirational because they are seen to be held by men in positions of power, or that these men have seemingly come into positions of power because of adherence to these hegemonic norms, which then in a way demonstrates to other men that in order to do masculinity right, this is how you have to be. A bit like a vicious circle of dick swinging. I will admit that hegemonic and toxic masculinity seem to be quite similar and there could be overlap but I think it's the easiest way to think about it is that hegemonic masculinity lays out the general game plan for being a man and then toxic masculinity is the way in which individual men go about trying to stick to those rules. Another phrase that could be used instead of toxic masculinity is the man box which to be fair I quite like. Uh, and to me, it kind of echoes a lot of what hegemonic masculinity is, but does so using a nice, easily digestible metaphor. In the book, Is Masculinity Toxic? Smiler notes that the idea of the man box was first conceptualized in about 1976, based on the industrialized version of the man box and, ha and has four components, like the sides of a box. These components are no sissy stuff, be a big wheel, be a sturdy oak, and damn the torpedoes full steam ahead. Uh, it underwent a few iterations, but was made most prominent in a 2012 TED Talk by Tony Porter, the founder of A Call to Men, and is currently defined as the enforcement of a narrowly defined set of traditional rules for being a man. These rules are that real men don't show emotions, are heterosexual, hypermasculine, and sexually dominant, never ask for help, have control over women, are providers, never caregivers, are economically secure, physically and emotionally tough and are sports focused 
And these rules, writes Mark Green in the Little Me Too Handbook for Men, are enforced through shaming and bullying, as well as a promise of rewards, the purpose of which is to force conformity to our dominant culture of masculinity. I like the man box description, as it's a bit simpler to understand than hegemonic masculinity, because essentially the man box is our current hegemonic masculinity. We currently live in the man box. Um, but while I like it, and while the man box neatly makes something as abstract as hegemonic masculinity a little bit more tangible, uh, if you don't, if you didn't know what the man box was, you would need to then highlight that it's about masculinity. You know, you'd need to kind of explain that what you are talking about is our current climate of masculinity, which is dominant-based, suppressive of emotional connection, and rewards displays of strength and control and stoicism. This then results in men believing that certain things about manhood and masculinity, and that acting in certain ways are unhealthy and harmful. And it's these actual ways of being a man that are toxic traits once more highlighted by the definitions of toxic masculinity. So in my view, and I appreciate that this might not be the view of everyone, we may as well just call a spade a spade. And if we're going to talk about masculinity, we may as well talk about toxic masculinity, which exists inside the man box. Um, this might be a very tiny sticking point, and I concede that, you know, the uh, of the other ways of talking about toxic masculinity, the man box is probably, if anyone gives a shit about my opinion, one of the better ones. But again, if you're going to talk about masculinity, it just makes sense to me to talk about masculinity, but maybe use the man box as a, I don't know, a metaphorical description to highlight the rigidity and expectations of the current hegemonic masculinity. So I guess that's my main point, really, and the final crux at the end of this sort of half an hour long monologue, that there is this current understanding that certain aspects of masculinity are unhelpful and harmful to society and the people in it that form part of our current conceptualization of masculinity and what it means to be a man, which we call toxic masculinity. But the phrase toxic masculinity gets people's backs up gets them defensive, suggests to them that there is something wrong with being a man or that in some way masculinity is tainted or not good. All of which is never mentioned in any of the literature that I can find anyway, other than when it is highlighted as being what toxic masculinity is not. There are a few options of what we could call it. There's potentially, I don't know, traditional masculinity, possibly industrial masculinity, hegemonic masculinity, which we have highlighted doesn't necessarily point to the actual beliefs and actions that are toxic, as it were, uh, and then the man box, which I understand to be a helpful conceptualization of hegemonic masculinity, but then is not necessarily explicit in highlighting that it's focusing on masculinity per se. But I suppose I'd like to draw this to a conclusion by quoting from the blog piece written by Randy Flood. Those of us comfortable using the term toxic masculinity, social scientists for instance, need to address critics' misinterpretation and provide a helpful, accurate counter-narrative. And I guess this is why I bang on so much about toxic masculinity and why I question the point and purpose of finding a new phrase or term or way of talking about it. Because there is this already perfectly good, succinct and accurate way of talking about problematic aspects of masculinity, we just need to somehow get the right definitions and conceptualizations out, you know, into the big bad world to counteract all the misperceptions that exist. And hopefully, <laughs> I really hope that I have gone some way in helping clarify that for some of you today. Obviously, the choice is at the end of the day, uh, if you want to, you know, use the phrase or use something completely different, because, you know, it's your choice about how you speak and the language that you choose to use. But uh, that's pretty much pretty much it for me in terms of this. 
Um, in the next episode, my focus is going to be on who toxic masculinity harms, um, how we as men can work towards a more positive form of masculinity and what that maybe looks like. And possibly, if I can find enough literature, um, I want to talk about the ways in which to figure out if you are engaging in toxic masculine behaviors. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it for me. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this. Uh, as always, if you'd like to get in touch and leave me feedback or continue the, dis continue the discussion further, you can find me on social media uh, at The Narcissist Psychologist on Instagram uh, and at The Narcissist Psych on Twitter. Or you can email me at thenarcissistpsych at gmail.com or leave me a comment on my Substack page at thenarcissistpsychologist.substack.com. Uh, thank you very much and uh, look forward to chatting to you soon. Cheers. <laughs>